Today we're sitting down with the president and founder of Cassidy Paving, Kevin Cassidy. Kevin began his entrepreneurial path when he was 15 years old and was cutting lawns throughout his neighborhood. From there he went on to build a landscape company with over 20 employees which successfully sold in 2007. Not too many of us start a business when we were in high school and end up successfully selling it. Kevin then realized an opportunity in the asphalt and paving industry where he quickly encountered the struggles and challenges of trying to build a business in the middle of the 2008 Great Recession. He learned many lessons over the past 15 years and successfully built a $10 million paving company with over 50 employees that is primed for more growth in the years to come. Kevin has also engaged an executive coach and has developed a clear motto for his success. Quote, hustle is real, failure is learning, and focusing on your goals is above all the best way to plow forward. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Thanks, Rich. Yeah. Looking forward to being here. Oh, we're happy to have you. We know uh, a good guest of ours, a great guest of ours, Sean Shepard, referred you, and you have a relationship with him. So just honored to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial story and where you're at today. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> in high school, I uh, actually end of middle school, I started cutting lawns like a lot of uh, entrepreneurs do. Um, I kind of took it to the next level. By the end of high school, I had, I think, like 10 employees working while I was still in school. Um, and I built that business up. Um, and then in 2007, I sold it um, to get into the paving business. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a backwards way into it. I uh, I couldn't find anybody anybody to fix my uh, curbs in the spring that were damaged from snow plowing, so I bought a asphalt machine to do that, and uh, we started doing that. And then I got into it more and more, and I I knew nothing about it. And I saw some guy pave three driveways in one day, and I'm like, ah, I can do that. I thought about the revenue behind it, not thinking of the logistics that would go with it, and the millions of dollars in capital equipment but when you're 20 21 years old it's you don't you don't look like you, like I do today so I sold off the landscaping and uh jumped into the paving and everything that I'd done up to that point I'd succeeded at and then the first, that was right before the recession and uh it was a tough two three years of digging in and really really fighting through it very cool. So while you were in school, you built a lawn cutting business. How old were you then? Uh, like 15, 16 years old. And you ended up selling it? Yeah. Yeah. I ended up selling it. I had, I think, 15 employees when I sold it in 07. Wow. So talk about entrepreneurial from the beginning. At 15 years old, you're building a business that ultimately you'll sell. Not sure. I know many people who have done that. How did that come about, and where's your inspiration to have done that? Um, yeah, like I said, it was just one of those things where I saw some, I saw another shiny object, and I was like, "Oh, that that looks like a great business to be in." And I was kind of, um, I kind of become lackluster with the landscaping at that point. Um, it was kind of just going through the motions. Uh, so I was like, yeah, oh, let's, let's try something new. Why not? Well, right? <laughs> I'm wondering about your inspiration at 15 years old to start a business and then not only start a business at that age, but develop it to the point where you had something sellable. Do you have friends or family or neighbors or where's your inspiration for business at that age? So I, uh, I think it was just 
for a, a way to make money. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't look at it as much more. Um, both my parents were uh, school teachers, and uh, I was I was lucky they didn't force me down that road of education. They didn't say you had to go to college, you have to do this, you got to focus on school. They kind of let me do my thing, um, and I I never actually went in that direction. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I think it was just the the need and the want for more money. And I could, I was working at a hardware store making whatever it was, 12 bucks an hour at that point. And I could go do my landscaping and make a couple thousand, two, 3000 profit a week. So, and then at that point I just started scaling it. Cause I'm like, all right, well, if I can do it with 20 lawns, I could do it with 50 lawns. You know, it's just that simple. You don't know what you're doing, but you're doing it sort of thing. You know, you just want, you just want uh, more, I guess, the American way. <laughs> Absolutely. And you have the paving business now. And tell us about the size of your business, either in you know dollar amount, number of clients, however you care to share. Yeah, so we're uh, we're about uh, ten million in revenue. Um, we uh, we got uh, just shy of forty employees. Um, four crews. We're mostly. Um, commercial and uh, municipality we do a lot of state and federal work um probably 60 70 percent in that side of it and maybe like 10 percent in residential and we're phasing out that so we'll be by next year we'll be all commercial and municipality um and we're not like a mainline pave we don't do highways and stuff but we do secondary roads um and a lot of uh a lot of um niche stuff for water departments and cities and towns and stuff like that. So it's been a, uh, it's been a cool ride. Tell us about your vision for the business at this point. As you get, as I, as I've got older, I've become a little more reserved than I was when I first just jumped into it blind. Um, I'm a little more calculated now because there's a lot, there's a lot more on the line. Um, but uh, there's in this market, there's endless opportunity. Um, and the market share is enormous. Like there's at least 15 other companies about my size in the Boston market and everybody fights for work, but we're not fighting tooth and nail. Like right now we're two months from the end of the season and everybody's booked. So it's a capacity issue. Um, so in terms of taking on more and, um, growing it, the sky's kind of the limit. Kevin, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into that. I mean, you know, obviously a, a business of, of your size, growing it from scratch to where you are. I'm assuming this is your second company, right? You had your first one you built and then it moved directly into this one. And and you're still that entrepreneur at heart. Uh, and, and you're looking at your business now and going, you know, the world is massive, right? This this facilities, um, exterior, uh, you know, facilities for like paving as an example, whether it be municipalities or, or commercial just a massive landscape at your entrepreneurial heart. How do you uh, hold yourself back? Right. Earlier in the conversation, you said, you know, that, that when there's opportunity, I see it and I you know, it's the American way. I want to go get more, but you do get to a size of your business where there's a lot at stake. There's a lot of capital on the streets. There's a lot of lives at stake. You don't necessarily want to go put your PGs on the line to buy more machines, to risk more of your business. And, you know, you don't know what may happen. And, you know, how do you counterbalance that entrepreneurial spirit that's like deep inside of you and kind of like, okay, I'm just going to maintain the business at this stage? Yeah, it's it's probably one of my toughest struggles. Um, 
um, along with <laughs> probably a few others, but uh, it's, so this year we've grown about 30% over last wow. year and we were set to do like 10 to 15%. And we, we felt it with cash flow this year where we haven't in years past. Um, so in terms of that, like setting the standards going forward, I'm like, all right, so now we're going to shoot for a 10 to 15% growth and maybe we'll do 20. The reins kind of have to be pulled back. Cause like you said, it's it, now we're at the stage where it's millions of dollars on the line, 40 people's lives and countless amounts of kids that they got to feed. Like, and every one of my decisions is backed by that. And sometimes they're tough decisions that have to be made. And, um, but you, with your entrepreneurial side, you always want to just grow. You want to, yeah. you want to keep grabbing more market share. And, but the, what you have to, what I have to do now is pay what I did. What I do now that I didn't do back then was I'm all about the numbers. We got a part-time CFO. Um, it's, it's, it's a numbers game more than a logistics game. Um, and making sure that we're getting the right things that, our sales guys are going out, they're getting the right projects and we're making the right amount of money on it. Like before it was just grow, grow, grow. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of one dial that's changed over the last few years. And um, it's definitely a tough thing to do to curb the growth. Um, but yeah. some of the best stuff comes out of when you're most uncomfortable. Absolutely. So as, as we're growing some of the stuff that I'm like, like we, we got the contract at Logan Airport. We do everything off runway. Mm -hmm. um, so all the non-secure terminal roads and all that. When we first won that, I was like, oh, my God, we actually won this thing. Like, And now it's we've had it for three, four years now, and it's second nature. But if I had let my fear take that when I started and say, we can't grow that much, we can't take that, we wouldn't have had that opportunity. Um, so you... So it's a, it's, it's like anything, it's a fine balance, but you, you have to live on the edge of fear, but you can't push it far enough where the, where the place is going to topple. Yeah. You know, there's so much to go on here. Uh, and, and Kevin, you know, when we talk to a lot of small business entrepreneurs, a lot of times we get into leadership conversations, right? You get into how are you leading your team in this age and, and what, you know, riches from the leadership development background. So we go down that rabbit hole, you know, quite a bit in conversations that we have. I'd like to take this one a little bit differently uh, because you're not a trained accountant by any stretch, but you're a small business entrepreneur who has had to learn the numbers of your business. And what, I'm, what I think you're saying, just to kind of, you know, put a little words, I think, maybe into your mouth, I wanted to make sure I understood it, is... I can only grow so much because growth takes cash and, and there's, there's this cash issue that is restraining our potential growth. And if I go leverage my business to go get more cash, I'm putting lives at risk that if it doesn't work, uh, there are families and kids that have probably been here and with your company for years and years and years that you're risking. So your risk tolerance has come down because of this cash and this cash conversion and, and your view on finance. Talk to me about that a little bit, because a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, don't spend the time to learn the numbers cold in their business. When did that happen for you? Like, what moment were you like, okay, I got to really understand the numbers of my business? So for me, it was probably like five or six years ago. I'm uh, I'm in EO Boston. I'm sure you guys are familiar with EO. Entrepreneurs yeah, entrepreneurs organization. organization. Yep. Yeah. 
And um, <clears throat> one of the uh, one of my forum mates has a uh, a lodge painting company in Boston, and uh, he was like, "Do you do P and L by job?" And I'm like, "No." We look at it. He's like, "Well," he goes, "How do you how do you drive the car from the back seat?" And that kind of stuck with me. Um, so it was when we started doing P and L by job, that was game changing. It was probably one of the things I can put my finger on that really moved the needle on the company. Because at that point we knew where the money was. Um, it's and it's not an easy process to implement. There's a lot of stuff that is information that has to come back from the field, labor hours, materials, all that stuff. So you, you needed to create a system to to handle that. Um, but then once we did it, you can narrow down and say, all right, we we seem to do real well in this sector, whether it be whatever cut and patch or um, <clears throat> mill and fill, without getting into the technical terms, but. Uh, um, those are the areas we can home in on. Um, so then once I had, once, um, myself and a couple of my key people had that information, we started to move the dial and say, okay, this is the sectors we're going with. And then it was like, boom. So that <clears throat> P and L by job was game changing to me, but again, it was uncomfortable and it forced, and it was forced on me by not forced on me, but pushed on me by a pair. Uh -huh. And, uh, and that was kind of, uh, that was kind of a, a, um, a significant point. I think we grew like $3 million that year. So mm -hmm. 50%. So yeah. once that stuff was implemented. Awesome. And, and you mentioned you know, earlier, you grew 30%, but it created an issue with cash flow. Can, can you provide maybe your narrative from your business as to why growth creates an issue with cash flow? Uh, just to, uh, so, so we can understand your version of working capital and, and why growth really affects that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you have to fund the growth somehow. Um, and especially in our game, the capital and the equipment is off the charts. So one piece could be a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. So in order to get to those levels, you have to fund that somehow. Um, so, and there's, <clears throat> there's three levers that kind of move that for us there's you can raise the numbers be selective about what you do or you can go and get outside funding um we didn't do the latter um but we um we twisted the other two to to help with the cash flow but they gets to what gets to a certain point is like the dollars just get so large i always say what we're doing every year is we're moving a decimal point the thousand dollar problem becomes a hundred thousand dollar problem. The hundred thousand dollar problem becomes a million dollar problem, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so, it's just controlling that and 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 having a gut of where 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 the market's going and what areas we can extend, and um and and really moving those levers to make the cash flow less less painful. So we went from having receivables of like six or 800,000 last year to over 2 million now. Yeah. So that money, <clears throat> it's real dollars. It's it, So we have to collect it faster, pay it out a little slower and be very conscious about the capital that we bring in. So when you got into the paving business, you're essentially sharing money management, P&L management. That's not where your strength was. It sounds like you got involved in EO as an opportunity to improve yourself, not necessarily in that area, but just generally. I'm curious with you, 
what do you feel your strengths are that you bring to your business? And for the areas that you're not strong, what are you doing to either shore those up for yourself or do you outsource that to someone in your business who is strong at it? So again, just to summarize the question, what are you strong at personally that you go, in my business, I'm the best at this. I know I'm good at this. Here are some things I'm not so good at and here's how those get taken care of. I consider myself a servant leader. I'm like, I want everybody in the company to do better the year after, the year after that. I want them to make as much money as they can. And then in turn, they take care of the company. I always work towards that as a goal to keep the culture of the company. I feel that's my strong suit is is um, not so much managing people. I'm probably pretty bad at that because I've, I've heard on a couple of occasions I can hold people more accountable than I do. And I know it's my Achilles, but it's how I've always done it. Um, <clears throat> So I'm stronger on that side. I'm weak. Um, I'm weak on the paperwork, the process side. I'm not real strong on that. So I have a sales team that deals with the sales. Um, I'm limited. I've limited my book of business to like one customer now that I've had that I haven't passed off yet. Um, So that's all taken care of, taken care of for me. I meet those guys once a week. Don't really get too involved in that process. We set the rates and then let that fly. Um, I spend a lot of time. Um, I, I like doing operations, so I spend a lot of time in the field with the crew, setting up stuff for them and uh, getting that uh, getting that up to par. I'm definitely weak on uh, actually setting up processes, but my number two, Danny, he's he's like the yin to the yang. He's a hundred and eighty degree opposite of me. Where I'm like, yeah, we can make that happen, shake a hand. He's like, well, we have to go through the process, get the contract put into the system, and then see where it falls. Where I'll be like, yeah, we're good to go. Let's roll. And uh, so it's good to have that other piece that <clears throat> balances you out. Um, then there's definitely, it, it, if if anybody tells you that, tell you that they've figured it out, they're lying to you because it's there's, there's I you don't know your blind spots until you until you're in them. So a lot of times people, um, I keep a pretty open, fluid um, discussions with my team and they'll, they'll, they'll give it to me honestly, which is awesome. So yeah, you, you, you screwed that up. You, uh, we should probably not, uh, not have you on that realm. And um, like I said, I was told that a couple of years ago with the sales. They're like, you're not filling out your paperwork. You're just making deals and you're throwing them up on the board. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, I sucked. And uh, <laughs> so you stop stepping away from that. But you have to have the ability to have a team that will honestly give you that information. So um, just and then to work on and the other side of that, too, I'm always trying to educate myself and um, and bring myself to the next level. Um, I didn't go to college. Uh, my my formal education ended in high school. Um, so I, I'm part of EO Boston. I do strategic coach in Toronto. Um, I got a peer group. So I, with all those pieces, it's, uh, it, it helps me realize what my weaknesses are and then get me to the next level. Cause what got me here is not going to get me there. You know, I'll pair it with John said earlier. There's a lot to go on in here. Um, <laughs> so ended at a high school education 
and then turned around and you said you're an EO, you use strategic coach, you use peer-to-peer groups. It's not like you have a lack of interest in educating yourself. You just chose to not do it through a university. Yeah, which I was very fortunate. My parents didn't like being where they were both teachers. They didn't say you have to go to college because a lot of my friends ended up there. And uh, and I don't know where I'd be today if I had done that. I might have pottied myself clear out of there and uh, God only knows. <laughs> One of the things you had mentioned in there was you don't know your blind spots until you're in them. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> before I hand it off, um, most of my books of business to other sales salespeople, I uh, I always thought I was the the best at it, and 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 I'm a likable guy, but I don't have the second half. Of it. So I always thought I was great at it, and till I had a team that could be honest with me and say, "No, you're terrible." <laughs> you're not doing this, there's jobs that are going that shouldn't be. And so I was, I was fine on the front end, but bad on the back end. But I didn't know that until I, until I had a team that could be honest with me. Um, and that's going back to just being a, um, just being a servant leader and, and being able to take the criticism and not have an ego and, and not take it as, not take it as, bad criticism but take it as a learning experience um but until you're until you're wrapped up in that you you don't know you don't know what you don't know it's uh and there's been and that was the same thing when i started as well in 07 like i had no idea how to pave um but i thought ah screw it i can do that everything i've done i've been successful at and then i just took it on the chin for a few years and it was a rough time but it was the best learning experience I could have had because I figured out how to do more with less. And I'm that much more grateful of where I am today. Um, and it, it kind of set in this year, we just built this building that we're in and, uh, and I, I, I pull up and I'm like, wow. I'm like, we've, uh, <laughs> we've really turned the corner, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for the failures and the, falling on my face for two years and just taking it on the chin. Um, so that's, and that's, that's the, that's like kind of the education of hard knocks, I guess. Absolutely. We had a, a guest. I don't know if you had listened to her it was Aaron deal that talked about failing and kind of demystifying what failure is not being afraid to it, running into it. She even had a phrase fail. Yeah. And it was like, that's where you learn is uh, the school of hard knocks and failure. Sounds like you've got a lot of learning there and uh, and you're not afraid to share it. And you talked about not having an ego and being likable and uh, definitely experience that with you here on the podcast. I have a question for you to shift topics on marketing. What is the blend for your business of new customers versus previous customers? Probably about 75% previous, 25% new. That and would have been my guess because you are likable, because you are a servant leader, because you don't have a big ego. And and I can imagine that being an attracting magnet for people. 
that's where those are some assumptions I make just about the short time that we've had together and some of how you do it. But I wanted to dig in with you and go 75% previous customers. You know how many businesses would love to be there? How do you do it? We take care of our customers. And that, and that's it sounds cliche, but it, and so many people will tell you that. But then when it comes down to it, we'll, <clears throat> if somebody called us right now and said, I got a pothole, the owners of the building are coming in. We get a crew out there this afternoon. I'm not sure how we would do it, but we'd figure it out. And we probably wouldn't even charge them. And that it's just doing stuff like that 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 builds your loyalty. And it's like, because at the end of the day, <clears throat> they have people to answer to. And we want to be uh, we want to be your basically your thankful partner and say, we're here for you guys to make you guys to make you your jobs easier. And however we can do that. We do it. And so, and there's not a lot of companies that that do that. And they're like, oh, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, you know, and you need to have a sense of urgency in this game um, and, and actually deliver. Like I said, it could be something that you see as so minute or such a tiny issue, but to them, it's everything. And there's going to be a bigger problem if somebody else comes across it or there's an insurance claim or something like that. So you have to take it as their fire is your fire sometimes. And we don't do that for everybody, but we do it for our, our core customers. So I'd like to maybe take this kind of in a, in a continued direction of, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, the beginning of your business, you start your business in 2007, you go through a recession and, and I've had, you know, business that was relatively new around those years as well. So I realized how difficult that was to get through and you persevere, you, you get to the other side. But we also talked about failures. And, and one of the things that I think makes the backbone of, of ultimately a strong business is going through those trials and tribulations or making mistakes, quite honestly, you know, that, that you can learn from to make sure that you not repeat in the future. What would be an entrepreneurial, not paving related, what would be an entrepreneurial mistake or failure that's in the back of your mind that you'd say, if I had to pass this message to my younger self and say, don't do that, uh, what would that be for you? Um, so I think it's the overall um, build of it. It's like <clears throat> now it's, I could get to where I'm at today in yeah. half the time because I, I could I could build it that much faster. Because I've, okay. I've I've learned those things, I, and it and for me it was knowing the numbers. That has to be the most important thing. Getting the right team, and um, and and having that that team in place. Um, human capital has to be the most the most prevalent thing that you do in recruiting, and it, if anything, it's almost more important than sales. And not knowing that stuff when you you get into it, I mean, you're in you're into it blind. And then when you start hanging around with all these other people, all these other entrepreneurs, I'm I'm a true believer. You're a you're a uh, product of the top five people you spend the most time with. Um, so putting that together, knowing, kind of knowing what I know now, yeah. Um, <clears throat> numbers would be the number one thing for me. People and uh, culture of the company and taking care of those people. Okay. So you have little to no turnover. Yeah. So, so give, give me some like tangible examples of this. So when you first started your company, I'm assuming that 
maybe you learned on the town side, maybe the hard way. Maybe you didn't properly vet people or had some some issues there. Where now knowing what you know, you would have you would have maybe vetted people out more. What would you have changed specifically? Uh, we talked about numbers a little bit earlier. So let's go to people and talent. What did you do in your in, when you started your business? That maybe you would do differently if you were starting over again as it relates to talent. So when I started to build it and when I started to have the need for an office team, um, I didn't, I didn't, I, I thought, oh, I can't afford these. I can't afford that salary. I can't afford that salary. Mm-hmm. Looking at it from not the abundance side, but looking at it from uh, um, what I thought was a financial side. But when you stop bringing those people in and you might go through one or two bad people to, to find a good one, which usually ends up happening. But once you find that good one, like the sky's the limit. You can it, it, another twenty thousand dollars on the salary doesn't matter because that person brings so much return and 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 uh, and so much um, so much cultural strength to build processes and build the company that it doesn't matter. And and I that was one of the things that I fell across in the beginning was I'm like, oh, we can't afford that type of office staff, but. Once you've done it, you're like, oh, how did that, how did, what took me so long to figure that out? Yeah. Like, well, Kevin, you and I have something in common. Uh, I'm sure in our, pr- in our prior years as young entrepreneurs, we were called cheap and we would say, no, 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 we're frugal. We're just being careful. <laughs> and, and I'm sure you've heard the, uh, John or Kevin, you're, you're, you know, you're being, uh, you know, penny wise and dollar foolish. You're trying to save the penny here, but if you invest the dollar, you'd be able to get more. But that is, an interesting you know not to bring it all the way back to finance always but you know from my perspective that's a tough thing to do because you have to reinvest into capital expenditures you have to reinvest here and there and you just said it yourself like sometimes you you need to hire two people to find that one and and that's costly and it takes money how would you encourage entrepreneurs listening to this going i'm not sure if i should be investing my business right now or you know conserving cash how would you recommend they go about making sure that either A, they know how to make the right investment uh, or B, find the right person? So I've always been of the mindset that it's easier to grow the top line um, than it is to try to shrink stuff down on the bottom half. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I didn't always do that, but over the last five years I have, and it, it opens up a lot of doors and opens up the ability to say, all right, well, you can't afford those six figure salaries. You can't afford to have somebody in that position, in that position, marketing contracts, whatever was just by exploding the top line. But then it goes back to what we talked about earlier about controlling the growth. But if you're trying to save 20 grand down here, you're better off trying to get 50 grand up there. Hmm. In in my experience. Yeah. And that probably goes back to, the confidence you have in the business, right? That, you know, even going back to landscaping, you're probably knocking on doors and saying, Hey, can I cut your grass? I'll find more, you know, business to, to go get. What does the future look for you, uh, Kevin? I mean, obviously you have a nice sized business. You can continue to grow 15, 20% per year. You have a lot of lives at stake. Um, you know, it sounds like you are putting things in place uh, with your number two and your sales team and kind of putting processes in place. What does the future look like for you? Where where do you want to go next as an entrepreneur? Every year is a every year is a uh, a new challenge. We um, over the last few years we've added a few more crews. Um, we added milling, which is like when you go down the highway, you see like the bumping, yeah. um, the grooves. 
and we didn't have any work for that when we first started it, but now it's like off the charts. Um, so I, I see us continue, continuing to grow those, those current lines of business, maybe getting more into the power side. Um, and, and I, I, we have a great team. I really, every, I'm sure a lot of people say that, but I'm, and I'm privy cause my name's on the door, but, uh, yeah. um, but we really have an awesome team and with that team and it continues to mushroom, we really have the ability to do anything we want, set our goals conservatively over the next five years. But I think over the next decade, we, we, we could, we could approach the, the 25, $30 million mark and, and, uh, with a few more crews and, and, uh, get to that, uh, get to that level. Got it. Fantastic. And, and in terms of you as the entrepreneur, uh, looking at getting your business from here to there, and you mentioned the book earlier, you know, what got me here won't get me there both personally, as well as where I'm at. What do you think your business needs in terms of you as the entrepreneur and or additional resources or strategies to, to execute that growth over the next X period, doesn't matter what the years are, but to grow your business to $25 million, you know, triple your business. Probably less of me. <laughs> ah, well, tell me more. What, what does that mean? Uh, so uh, um, I, I still have that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit where I'm like, oh, shiny objects, you know, let's yep. try that. Let's, and, and, and I've been pretty decent at curbing that, having a, having a team that that, that kind of keeps me in check and says we need to, because focus is extremely important, keeping the focus on we're a paving company. Don't go too far in that direction. Don't go too far in that direction. Um, and of course, developing more people and getting talent, um, which has become a, a, a tough, uh, a tough grab in our industry um, mm -hmm. in the blue collar side of things. So continuously developing people, bringing more people up, um, and, uh, creating, creating more of that. And, uh, so we can scale the business. So I see that as one of our bigger challenges is, as human recruitment. When you had talked earlier about human capital being one of the most important things for you, and you feel like you have a great team, yet there's a challenge around getting talent in the future. What's your game plan? We're pretty well known in the industry now. And, um, some of our best people have came from referrals. So we have a referral based program that you bring somebody in. Um, we give you a thousand bucks. Um, and there's a lot of paving companies with not so strong of a culture. So it's easy to, to once we get one or two, it's easy to get more people on. Um, but the industry as a whole and the, the, um, I feel like the country as a whole is over the last two decades has pushed away from manual labor and kind of shied upon it and said, ah, we, everybody has to go to college to be successful. We have yeah. guys in the field that are right around six figures every year. And it's, <clears throat> we do a lot of prevailing wage, which is uh, union rate up here in the Northeast. And uh, so our guys make a, a great living, um, but it's getting that message out. And we're probably, we're not as good at it as we should be um, getting that message out and saying, all right, we're a great place to work. Here's what positions we got. And, and, and we kind of always with the field side, we always, if we, if there's somebody good, we hire them and then we figure out what to do with them after. Um, because every crew has a different, different niche, but we can train all that. If they're a good person, they got a good attitude and um, they want to do well by their family, then 
that's that's what we look for and everything else can be trained um but there's less of a workforce than they used to be like a lot of my top guys are foremen and supers are all in their uh 50s and early 60s and there's not enough people coming up in the ranks because and uh, get into a whole nother topic of where where the country's gone as a whole with that um so we have to overcome that and instead of putting a 25% resource on it we have to put a 50% resource on it and truly always be recruiting powerful you said hire good people and kind of find out what to do with them later <clears throat> if i if you were teaching me how to have your business in my area i live in iowa and i say hey kevin i want to run a paving paving business out in iowa and i want to hire good people too but how do I do that? What am I looking for? How do I know they're a good person versus an average person versus a bad person? Like, what are the characteristics of good people for your business? And how do you, what's your process in selection to determine that they are a good fit? The referral based side of it has been awesome because usually people don't bring in people they don't like. And where we have a good, a group of great guys, they usually only bring the good ones with them. Um, so that it's, it's been huge. Um, and then also we just, it's like I say, you can train for everything else, but not the attitude. And usually you can figure that out in a few weeks with somebody, whether or not they have a good attitude or it's glass half empty all the time. Um, and the ones that aren't good, um, we say this, this, uh, this isn't going to work out for either one of us. Uh, I think we should, uh, split ways and in doing that quickly not letting them hang around there was a uh, there's a big real estate guy around here that gave me a piece of advice like 10 years ago he's like hold on to your great apples make sure they never leave but the bad ones will spoil the rest so get rid of them as quick as possible and as simple as it was it, it always stuck with me um so we we grab what we can and then if you're great we'll give you the shirt off our backs and if you're not, then it's not going to be a cultural fit and it's not going to work out. And to make that decision pretty quickly into the, into the first, first month or so of hiring. Um, and, and, uh, it's for us, it's, a, it's try to get as much as you can. So if you're, you're hiring 10, hopefully there's three or four that make it, but those three, but well, once you find the people that make it, take care of them. And make sure they're make sure they're where they need to be, and and continue to develop them as well. So I sit down with everybody every year. I say, "What are your goals for the next year? How can we help you get there? What do you need from us as a resource to get to the next level?" And you had referenced culture there, and you had referenced it, uh, you know, a couple of moments ago. Also, how would you describe the culture that you have in your business, and what do you do to maintain it? Uh, it's uh it's nothing i can really like um put my finger on we have a set of core values and usually uh we try to make sure that everybody fits within that um and also it's just uh i i like i i keep reverting back to being a servant leader and having empathy um and understanding that um people have stuff going on and we'll take we'll we'll help you out when that stuff's going on and and, and we just ask that you, you help that you do what you can for the company. Um, and just, it's just people taking care of people. 
because that's what's the most important part of it at the end. Like there might be a year that you don't make money. There might be a year that's down. There might be a year that's a home run. But at the end of the day, you got that, you got the team behind you, then everything else is kind of irrelevant. All that stuff's going to swing up and down. Um, but that can be, that can be one of the things you can lean on as a, is a constant. Kevin, it seems like, um, you know, you, you started this business in high school. And again, I, I'm with Rich. I don't know too many people who start a business and sell it in high school. A lot of people start a business and then abandon it <laughs> when, they're, when they're at that level. And, and you parlayed that into a very successful career. I can't imagine. I'd love to actually get a picture of the building you guys just built because to your point, it probably, you know, I can imagine you driving up and going in that building the first time going, wow, you know, really built something special here. And it sounds like you guys have a great track ahead of you. And a lot of it is, you know, you've all the lessons you've learned to the point you've made, you know, have really built and molded you as an entrepreneur as you've gone along. And I'm sure as you go to these EO organizations and others, you're sharing your stories, you're learning from others. And I think that the lessons you shared here with us today and our listeners, you know, can hit home because talent's an issue, cash is an issue, culture's an issue. Um, and, and you've been very, um, you know, going to your servant leader component, you know, uh, being very open to being like, you know what, it was good for me to get out of sales. And it is good for the entrepreneur to kind of get out of the way. Um, in your role today, are you continuing to kind of put the people in place so you can extract yourself and, and be more working on the business versus in the business? Is that, is that a, maybe a fair understanding of where you're going as a leader? Yeah, absolutely. Um, over the last couple of years, I've put more and more people in place and taken myself more and more away because <clears throat> then I can focus on the growth. I can focus on the numbers. I can focus on what what the vision is and which direction the company is going to go over the next decade. Um, where if you're dealing with that, this, and whatever other fire might come up for the day, and some yeah. of you you have to deal with it. There's this stuff that's that you got to grab hands on and take, but trying to keep that to a minimum. And uh, so right at the start of Corona, I had um, we I wasn't. EO was down, strategic coach was down, and I felt like I needed to uh, get something to elevate my game. Um, so when I brought Sean on, one of your previous guests, um, that was the nudge I kind of needed to keep me focused on staying out of the business and working on the growth. And And I was probably one of his, he mentioned the story to you guys. He didn't say it was me, but he sent me a lockbox for my phone. Because he's like, I need you one hour a day to focus on one thing and get that done and not deal with what's going on in, in Cassidy. And I'm like, all right. So it's one day a, a, lock, a lockbox showed up and I put my phone in it for one hour a day. Wow. And, and, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's key. So, so, okay. I, I want to go here right before we wrap up. So, so at the beginning of coronavirus uh, pandemic, you EO shuts down. So you lose that peer group. And you somehow get introduced or find Sean Shepard and engage him as an executive coach. Um, why did you feel that was necessary? And um, and certainly we understand that, you know the the lockbox you can focus on your business. How did that affect your business? So two questions there. Like, but why why did you engage Sean to begin with? Um, and how has that 
focusing on your business for one hour a day helped your business? So um, I was in strategic coach with Sean. I had met him up in Toronto. Um, and I, and there was just that gap in my life where nothing was going on. And I'm like, I'm like, and we were still, we were essential. So we kept going the whole way through, but I'm like, I wasn't pushing myself. I'd kind of fallen out of routines and stuff. And, uh, and I, I felt myself tripping up and I said, I, I need somebody that's gonna, that's gonna push back on me. And so I brought him on and, uh, he's been great. And then he, again, showed me some of my weaknesses and he's like, you need to focus on the stuff that's going to grow, wh what direction you want to go. You need to pick those things and you got to focus on them. And one a day, five, five days a week. I don't end up doing it five days a week, but even if I get three or four in, it's great. Um, so yeah, he, he called me one day during my focus time and he's like, you got a minute? I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, you're supposed to be on focus time. What the hell are you doing? And then the next day I got a lockbox. So, Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. And I took the, I took the phone out of the, uh, took the phone out of the equation. I do remember that story too. But as we, as we look to wrap this uh, podcast here, I'd love to hear from you to speak to our entrepreneur listeners from the position of you being an entrepreneur. If there was one thing that you are certain about as an entrepreneur that all entrepreneurs you believe could benefit from what is that one thing the one thing i would say would be to uh invest in people and to develop people that has to be the number one thing i i believe in most businesses that will get you to the next level that's great thank you kevin appreciate your time this morning thank you guys i'm honored to be on Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, one of the things that's striking me about the conversation with Kevin is the combination of his humility and his hunger to learn. I think those two things are actually, in our experience, uh, or my experience anyway, sometimes those two things are rare to have somebody as humble as what Kevin is, where he was full on willing to say, Hey, here's what I'm not good at. I needed help with this. But to blend that with, here's what I'm not good at, and here's what I'm doing about it. Hey, I, I failed at that, and I fixed it here. Like, there was always this one-two punch in the conversation with him around humility and hunger to learn, hunger to get better. I, I think that was, uh, it, re it really stood out to me. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it starts at the beginning too, right? Uh, here's somebody, you know, you asked them a couple of times, well, wait a minute, what was your inspiration? Like, what drove you to become an entrepreneur and start your business? And he really didn't have an answer for that. It was his own internal hunger and drive to fulfill. Like his parents were teachers. You'd think that his parents were teachers. He may go to university, but no, his parents let him kind of take his creative route as an entrepreneur and say, go. And he had this, I'm going to figure it out. Uh, there's something in my curb. I'm going to get a machine and fix it. Oh, that's not too bad. I can make more money doing this than landscaping, right? And it evolves over time. And I'm sure, you know, we can probably get into a lot of stories with him, but, you know, he starts his business, you know, months before a major recession. He's probably like, what am I doing? Maybe I should have gone to college, right, in those moments. But now is able to look back on when you're an entrepreneur. And, and Rich, we, we, we've seen this for years and years and years and years. Perseverance as an entrepreneur is massive. 
Uh, and if you can persevere through the tough times, learn your lessons, take your knocks and evolve and grow and take the feedback like, like Kevin takes from his team and, and evolves himself, you ultimately will get to a place where you can build your own building and walk in and go, wow, I did this. You don't need to the point he made the formal math, you know, math, science, English, uh, whatever education from college and get yourself in the major debt to have that entrepreneurial burn. And that's something I think he proved to us today. And the first thing he started with uh, when I asked, what are the things you're good at and what are the things that you're not so good at and how do you shore those up? First thing he started with is I'm a servant leader. Mm. He knows how important that is for his people. And that's yielded, as he said, 75% previous customers. When he hires people, it's referral-based. Just his his way of doing business was just refreshing and real. And his willingness, I, one of the quotes I'm looking at is willingness to go into areas that are uncomfortable. He said, some of the best stuff comes out of when you're most uncomfortable. Yeah. He doesn't have fear of failing. He's going to go out. He is planning to fail. He'll figure it out. It's going to get better. I'm going to surround myself with good people. And it speaks to the perseverance that you just talked to, John. Like he's not going to give up with failure. His willingness to go to places that were uncomfortable and persevere through that and take the lumps and take the learning and go figure out and get it better, but not quit. That's something that uh, was honestly inspiring to me. Yeah. But I, I think to the point you just made, this isn't somebody who just decided I don't care about getting educated. Um, here's somebody who's been seeking out EO. I'm not familiar with the Toronto group he was talking about. I'm not sure if you are or not. Um, love to research more about that. But you know, he meets Sean Shepard, then gets a coach. Rich, of the of the year long of episodes we've done in our first year, I mean, how many times have we talked about entrepreneurs getting a professional performance coach to help drive their business? Not because there's something wrong, because they could actually benefit from it to become sharper in their game. Here's an example of somebody that one of our prior executive coach guests referenced in a story um, who has engaged, took it upon himself to engage a professional coach to move himself and his business to the next level. The education he's developed in finance or in hiring or in servant leadership or you know, some, some of the, the business terms that he threw in this conversation are not by accident. He sought them out. And, and that's the one thing I'll give Kevin a ton of credit for. There's no doubt in my mind that his business will become a 20 or $25 million business. He's going to have to you know, work through the working capital and the cash of his business because it's pretty intensive. But he'll get there because he'll continue to work through it and figure it out. And I'll be remiss if I didn't talk about the love he, he shows for his team. That's number one. If his business needs to stay $10 million forever to protect his team, he'd keep it there. Uh, so that's a very important distinction as well. Now, one thing we know about him, he will figure it out and he'll surround himself with the resources necessary to serve his team and his customers.